0: To episode forty-three of Penny Red, uh, my name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria, and your host. This week, my guest is Epidiah Ravishol, designer of Dread, Time and Temp, and the eternally forthcoming Swords Without Master. Hi, Epi, how's it going?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
0: I'm not doing too too badly. The uh, the plague is sweeping through um, uh, our part of the uh, world. Um, so, yes, it's uh, my 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 kids are sick at the moment. So, um, no,
1: my uh, wife's- is it uh- is it a, a, a stomach plague or is it? Uh,
0: I think it's a general malaise. I think okay. uh, <laughs> everything—stomach, <laughs> uh, coughing—you um, name it. Fortunately, I've I've dodged the bullet, but uh, but I and don't we, hold out hopes.
1: We had a bit of a uh, outburst of the stomach plague around here, and I felt a little bit like Typhoid Mary. I, I didn't get it, but everyone I knew, mm. everywhere I went, was getting it, and I was like. It's, so who knows? Maybe tomorrow I'll be uh, long bent over, but so far yeah, I've f- fingers,
0: fingers crossed not. And yeah. a good, good call on the typhoid Mary. Is that something, that, uh, that's, something that's taught through school in America? I, I, you just took me back about 20 years because one of the things that <laughs> I did in microbiology classes, we were talking about typhoid, and we sort of got to the, the lecturer brought up typhoid Mary, who, if I remember rightly... Um, was a, uh used to be it was a nurse or a I forget that a governess perhaps is what they called yeah, it but a yeah. lady used to go around the place and would would make everybody sick around her and then move on to the next town and make everybody sick around them just,
1: if i remember correctly she was involved in food prep yes, like a, yeah. yeah so that just absolutely the worst decision you can be in <laughs>
0: that's right all the best if you're typhoid mary and you got off right, on that type of exactly. thing <laughs> so how long have you been a role player
1: oh god um Almost three decades now. So like I, I'm I am as old as role playing. Cool. At least as as if we judge by the first D and D book. Mm. Uh and I got started fairly young. Um but, you know, off and on in there 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 are periods of uh dry spells mm. and moments in my life when I thought I was above it. Right, <laughs>
0: sure. Well I one of the, the um the ways that I've phrased it in previous episodes is it's just like being a lapsed Catholic, right? You don't stop being a Catholic just because you're not going to church right, right now, right? Like you're always, once you're a role player, you know, you're always a role player. I liken it to you know, like riding a bike, you know, once you sort of get the premise of it, you know, you get the idea that it's a give and take type thing, you're telling a collaborative story. It's not, it's something you can just jump straight back into without any, any problem. But it's just getting over that initial hump of what this whole thing is about. And then once you're over that, you know, you're a role player for life, I think.
1: Yeah, that's, Yeah, that's a very apt... Description. I think. But,
0: so, how did uh, you get started, and what did you play first?
1: Oh well, um, <clears throat> in a pattern that would follow me for the rest of my life. Uh, I didn't. We didn't start off playing. We just made characters the first time. Right. Sure. <laughs> and and uh, lonely fun. It, yes. <laughs> it, well, what happened was, is I I used to live in uh, Ohio, mm-hmm. and uh, my family moved to Wisconsin and we moved uh, about a year or so after we moved to Wisconsin. Uh, we'd gone back to Ohio to visit, and uh, a friend of mine who uh, I might go in too in depth with this, but I, okay, so I had a friend whose name was uh, Matt Ross, right. and Matt Ross was sort of an important friend of mine because he was one of the only friends I had that had an older brother.
0: Right.
1: Like, I was the uh, oldest the older in my brother, route, yes. Yeah, so, and so his older brother, like, that's that's how I got introduced to heavy metal. That's how I got introduced to, you know, uh, all things evil, really, is what it comes down to. And and, <laughs> um, and so, uh, you yeah, know, we always looked to Matt Ross for this kind of arcane, you know, pre-internet days. The kids these days don't understand. Like, you had to hear rumors about something before you even hmm. could explore what it was, you that's know? That's right, yeah. And... Uh, I came home for a visit, and uh, a group of friends were together. Matt Ross was there, and he's like, do you want to roleplay? And I was like, all right, what's this? Yeah. And he pulled out the old TSR Conan role playing game. Right. And uh, we made characters there, and there was something about, like, just this concept of, like, I don't even know what my character was. I just knew that I was excited about being this Capable adventurer in this world of wonder that mm. uh, that I never was. Like we never got to play. We I just we just made the characters and then on, uh, then I had to go home. <laughs> yeah. And
0: oh, mom. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> except except home was like a, a like a nine hour car ride mm. away, you know. Mm. And on on the trip back, I actually created my first role playing game. Right and uh forced my younger brother to make a character and ran him through an adventure nice. on the car ride nice. uh, so that 's how I got started
0: right captive audience
1: yeah and then <laughs> and then uh I scrambled some money together, uh like allowances and whatever to get one and and I was like, well, I should get Dungeons and dragons right because that's the that's the role playing game and mm-hmm. especially back then. And I went out to the comic book store and I said, Yeah, you know, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. So the guy sold me the expert set.
0: Oh, and dear, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Isle of Dread. Yeah,
1: Yes. So then then I spent months trying to decipher it because I didn't have the basic set. Yes. I had no idea how that, like, just figuring out the D4 took me a week, you mm-hmm.
0: know? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, for those who uh, don't know, um, when Dungeons and Dragons uh, first came out, there's sort of like a parrot up to two parallel paths. Um, yeah. and one of them was the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which is the hard-covered books, and they you know, had everything that you needed right from level one all the way through to sort of infinity i guess and then there was the dungeons and dragons rather than the advanced type which i don't really see as being like there's nothing particularly advanced about the advanced set in comparison but the thing about the dungeons and dragons was that it was split up into four and then later five uh, groups began with um dungeon, just basic dungeons and dragons which is the red one and then you had which took you from level one to level three and then there Eight. was uh expert and you have to help me out here epi um expert yep. which is four to ten was it
1: think so i i know it's because it's, it's name level right yeah and then there was like the companion and the master yeah
0: and then immortals right Those like immortal, immortal yeah came yeah. out came out later but if you didn't have um basic you didn't have the rules so um i think uh i forget which guest it was now but had a similar experience got expert first and mm-hmm. then was bemused because there was no like all of the core rules were kind of missing
1: Right, right, and you just had to kind of make it up as you went along, uh, but that was fun. I mean, like that's—I uh, think that was influential. I, I, I have these experiences with the games back when um, everything was obscure. Like nowadays, mm. if I'm curious about a game, if there's any information about it, I can draw it to me in a matter of minutes. Mm. You know, just that's get fun. on Google and. Find out, I'll find how people have played the game. I'll find out, blah blah blah, like where it is, what it's about, mm-hmm. um, what people think about it, and all that. Yes. But, like, back then, uh, you know, you'd be flipping through like a Dragon magazine or something, and I remember seeing an ad for Champions right? that had the character sheet in it. Nice. And I then just took that character sheet. Because I'm, again, a young kid who didn't have, you know, the disposable income that I I have today Mm -hmm. to run out and plot money on a tome like that. And I just tried to figure out the game from there. Right. And and those little exercises, I think, uh, it just kept me going. It kept me like uh, this desire to just take the watch apart and try and Mm. put it back together with every game I got, you know. Right.
0: And so, how did you come to include the uh, Jenga tower in Dread?
1: Uh, that one, so that's a bit of a ridiculous idea, actually. Um, it, uh, I have this uh, this theory that, like, uh, when it comes to game design, it's better to have a misunderstanding than no understanding at all. Right? Like, like you need to. Uh, it's it's better to have a bad theory and work from there yes. than, it, than it is to not have a theory or, you know, and just go off the gut. And at the time, uh, it was just this really stupid theory I had that games were too obsessed with numbers. Right. Uh, I, I think I was trying to express something about, um, I don't know what, but I just, I I mean, this is over a decade ago, almost a decade and a half ago actually now. Right. Wow, I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, the first thing I thought of when, when, uh, when I thought of that was, I, you know, you have to throw out the dice cause they all have numbers on them. So, right. uh, look for something different and, uh, Jenga popped into my head and, uh, immediately thought of, uh, horror, right. you know, because it's the sensation you get with it. So yes. that's basically yeah. like where that came from. And, um, Then I ended, like, the very first version of Dread, like, before we did the very first playtest, had all these extra rules in it that, uh, uh, and I think that's actually what I was probably getting at when I was, uh, saying this thing about the numbers, is that, like, we've got a lot of extraneous stuff, we need to pare it down or whatever, Mm -hmm. and, and so I created all this extraneous stuff because I thought that's what a game should have right and then I sat down um, to play it the very first time, and we never touched any of those rules and I just threw them away. I just right. crumpled up the paper and tossed them out I said this is well that's great. I learned that that is ridiculous what I was, just did mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the game developed from there
0: right. One of the things that has come up in a previous episode, Kristen Hayworth, uh, who's has been on twice now, but um, she, when she runs uh, dread, one of the things that she likes about dread is that she finds it very difficult to to evoke you know genuine fear in people. But mm-hmm. she says the closest that she can come to doing that is to use dread as the mechanic for um, you know <laughs> resolution because it it taps into exactly what you're talking about. Like at a, at its at its core, the dice create drama right. and so when waiting for the the dice to provide a result you know that's the drama of just seeing what will happen when it when it rolls up and so you know pulling the blocks out in jenga is you know like i mean i don't need to tell you um it's, yes. you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a perfect analogy that's exactly what you you were going for and it was really cool to hear you d- describe it like that but but going on to what she was saying and also tapping a little bit into um a little bit of a, a movement there is in the, in the um the gaming industry, computer gaming more so than um, than role-playing But I think probably mm-hmm. there's a little bit of bleed there Is this idea of when you, you're playing a role-playing uh, game online Or in fact any type of game Like I play Modern Warfare um, from time to time um, mm-hmm. And the, th- the thing about it is that if you die You just go back to the start And then you right. uh, that level And then you play through And you just sort of grind through And eventually you learn that that guy comes from there And that guy comes from there And it ceases to be a... Um, You know, like it's it's sort of exciting the first time or or there's some trepidation the first time, but then after you've gone through it five or six times, it loses that and it becomes more like, I don't know if you, um, you, it sounds like you're a symbol of vintage to me. I don't know if you recall the game Dragon's Lair. Oh, yes, the, yes. The one where you've got to do that guy. And you've got to literally do the moves perfectly every time to get through the game. Yeah. It was a great way to extract money from people because you just had to move <laughs> exactly the right way. There was really – I mean, it looked like a role-playing game, but it really wasn't. You had to just sort no. of make sure that the guy, whatever his name was – I'm sure somebody's yelling it at the, at the at their iPod right now. But you've got to make the guy go in all exactly the right spots <laughs> in order to successfully go through the game. Nothing about role-playing, nothing about any actual skill and everything about – About memory and so going Back to um, uh, Kristen And her experiences with dread um, She finds that the the way That she ramps up the um, The dread um, Mm -hmm. is To make it so that when you pull and you die that's it for you there is no stand standby backup character you know you just gotta right. you've just gotta let the, the the blocks fall where they may if, if you will how do you um feel about that and have you used any other strategies to help sort of keep that sense of dread even though there is potentially a character waiting in the wings
1: yeah well i mean like essentially um that that is the, the default uh method for dread like you you uh, when you die, you die, and that's it, and you're done. You're you're a spectator, mm-hmm. and um, excuse me. And a lot of times, when I'm telling people that, they I get some eye rolling from people who aren't familiar with the game or whatever. Like oh, like I'll stick around and watch. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I love love proving them wrong. Mm-hmm. Like like I yes. kill their character, and there's like an. Hour and a half left in the game, and yes. they're still sitting in their seat, <laughs> just a, just as riveted in the game. Yes, um, because there's there's this spectator aspect to dread that, that yes. uh, um, and that, I mean that comes from partially that the tower shared by everyone, mm-hmm. and that means that everything everyone does affects you. Yes, no matter what, and mm-hmm. and even if you're you've lost, you still are lost it. Excuse me. Even if your character has died, you're still invested in that sort of. You want to see what happens, you know. Yeah. And, um, but yes, uh, that was the thing that uh, in the beginning, uh, a lot of people wanted me to like smooth the edges on. They wanted, mm. you know, it was, it was. It's it's weird. Uh, like this is another thing that I say is like when somebody tells you that the role playing game that you've designed is not a role playing game. Uh, that means you're on the right track. <laughs> <It means laughs> right. You're doing something right. And <clears throat> one of the ridiculous things that uh, people said it wasn't a role playing game was I can't remember how it was worded but it was something to that effect that like if you died then you died you were out that's not a role playing game. Hmm. And I'm like I don't I don't know why that wouldn't be but um yeah it's otherwise you you know you're playing a game of Jenga, which requires a certain amount of skill and a steady hand, and I've seen really good Jenga players come up to play Dread, mm. and it completely changes for them because there are stakes involved
0: now. Yes, right. You, you know,
1: It's more than just their reputation as a Jenga player, because nobody really cares that much about their reputation as a Jenga player. <laughs> but <laughs> you spend some time filling out the questionnaires and getting comfortable with that character, mm-hmm. you're going to care. And yes. you're going to want to keep that character alive. Of course. And then your hand starts to shake, mm. you know. <laughs> that's, that's right, when yeah.
0: It, yeah. and uh, that's the other thing, you know, like when your character dies, you know, people say, well, nobody's going to want to sit around. I mean, just look at a car accident. Like there's a big car accident on the highway. Yeah. You've got rubberneckers, you know, from you know, the whole the whole way causing other yeah. accidents, in fact, right? But, you know, just sitting there and, and uh, you know, watching – yeah, this you know this horrible thing is like human nature right and so so sitting there watching the towers progressively get more and more unstable even though you're you're no longer in in the game i think it's uh you know it's captivating and and yeah i'm i'm with you on that that there's no there's no need for for extra characters you know you've you've if you're you're out you know you're out and that's that what's what makes you know like that's that that's what makes the dread. And and, yeah. and going a al- going along with that, it's interesting. I hadn't sort of thought about this in connection with that. But when I was um when I was uh, a kid uh, or teenager, I suppose, uh, Trivial Pursuit came out, and oh, and yeah. and Trivial Pursuit, you know, like you, you play the like uh, it's all electronic now, probably, but anyway. So you get the little little um, little game piece that you move around the board, and you have little sectors that you that mm-hmm. you put into it, and when you answer the questions, and yeah. Um, it's not part of the game. Um, you know, Like put in the sectors and it just shows, you know, how you're getting on and you just move it around with impunity. But there was a group, there was a family that lived um, quite a distance away. But anyway, there were, there were six or seven brothers or, you know, however many there were. There were a lot of stringers, they were. Um, and the thing is that, that one of them um, was losing very badly one day, and I wasn't here for this game. But the sort of this rule swept that the the town, I suppose, in the, in the height of, of Trivial Pursuit, he was losing so badly. Um, and then one of his brothers, I guess, who was was about to to win or whatever, moved his little um, uh, Trivial Pursuit um, counter and right. tipped out some of his tokens, and 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 the older stringer said, "You can't put them back in." If you move the token and they fall out, you lose the you lose the token. And that became known as the <laughs> as the stringer rule around town. So it added an extra element to it. Like don't 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 fuck around with the little counter. No, don't. Just yeah. just, just <laughs> pick it up and carefully you know, like don't be dancing around like here do, do do Because do, do. if any of those things come out, that's that's it. So it had an extra layer to the game where you've got to carefully move the the <laughs> move the thing around the, the table and, and yeah, so so there you go. You know, that's um Without knowing it, there's a there's a connection that with that sort of that that idea of you know adding that little extra something you know to the to the game. So
1: I wonder if that like eventually adds an element where people like when you go to move your piece, people try to disrupt you or you know <laughs> just jam you oh, in the elbow yeah. or yeah, something. Yeah with with, like those,
0: that. with those guys I can imagine yes that, <laughs> that, that that probably did that did actually happen. But yes, that's uh yeah. So any time anybody dropped one out it was people just go uh, string of rules. String of rules. You <laughs> can't win. yeah. It's amazing. It's good always tempted to use that in game of life and stuff like that when the thing falls out you know that's too bad you lost oh yeah yeah. you lost one of your family members and if your driver drops (laughs) out you lose (laughs) accident (laughs) you're dead um (laughs) anyway so you started off with conan and and your expert set of dungeons and dragons and and then what did you play
1: oh uh, for a while there like in high school i got enamored with gurps right which is an era that I, at now looking back on, I can't, I can't figure out. Uh, but um, I was, <clears throat> I had so much energy then. Um, I was running a GURPS Supers game, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, the math alone in that is just <laughs> is, is insane. But then uh, I was running it. Every weekend, I had two groups, one on Saturday, one on Sunday,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they both were superheroes in the same world, and each group was doing stuff taking place on the same day. So the stuff that happened on Saturday would be incorporated in the stuff that was happening on Sunday. Nice. Because it was happening simultaneously in the right. game world. Right. And we were swapping players between them and I like, I, I remember doing it and I can remember moments of it, but I cannot for the life of me figure out how I had it together. You know, in in my high school days to pull off that kind of Mm. logistics, like as an adult, I can't. And I have so much more technology at my, you know, Mm. like, yeah, yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, I guess part of it was just these were all people I went to high school with. So these were people that I would see throughout the week. And we would just talk about what was going to happen during the weekend, you know, Mm. every day. So, Uh, but then um, I played for a while and then things kind of uh, settled down. I went off to college, played a little bit there, had a little trouble with college, ended up working in a factory for a while. (laughs) uh got back into uh some D&D uh when 3rd edition came out i think was the i'm trying to remember my timeline here went back to college well, anyways um yeah 3rd edition came out and that was sort of like a renaissance in role playing in my group of friends like we we were all uh older and uh this new version of the game came out and a lot of us were like, Oh, you remember when we used to do this in high school? Let's give this another shot, you know? Mm And, um, it, it caught on. It was quite addictive. And then, uh, uh, yeah, from there, shortly after that, I started working on dread and, uh, the rest is history, I guess. Right now, now I'm I'm uh, living in uh, Indie Game USA, Indie Gameville USA, right. with with uh, all these famous indie game designer neighbors and whatnot. So
0: right. So, what does indie mean to you in terms of role playing games? Like, what is the qu- What is the sort of like the secret source of of indie? What makes an indie game an indie game?
1: Oh, that's it. Yeah, so. Yeah that's a uh loaded loaded question a bit um uh i i mean i'm i'm one of these uh descriptive rather than prescriptive language mm. people uh sure. in the uh although, i mean like i think it's it's valuable to say uh whether or not somebody's an indie publisher uh oh. and and use the distinction of uh this is a creator owned and uh, they have control over how it happens and whatnot. And uh, that's important. I actually really support that model. Um, And uh, I think that's a, like it's a okay. If people make uh, purchasing decisions based on that. However, I think the majority of the time when I use the word Indie, I'm referring to a style of game. like, and, um, it really is shorthand for, uh, non mainstream and it's become kind of a shorthand for non, uh, OSR as well. Uh, old school Renaissance, hmm. although like everything they do that's, it's like, like I said, the indie publishing, they've got a lot of indie, indie publishers and they follow the indie publishing model. But, um, uh, you know, uh, when when most people are like, hey, you want to come over to my place, we'll play an indie game. Actually, nobody's ever said that statement. Right, sure. <laughs> you you want to come over and we'll play an indie game. Right. Um, but, like, so I've got friends that uh, that are, you know, publishing as a company. Uh, a group of them get together and they publish as a company. Dread was published uh with me and, and what else and a few other of our college buddies as a, as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that technically doesn't follow the indie model of, uh, uh, publishing, but for all the normal purposes that people use the term, uh, it is like, it's a strange little game that doesn't quite work the way you would expect a traditional game to work or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh yeah I don't know it's it's one of those things I'm really comfortable with genres not being acutely defined sure uh, and uh that gets me into trouble and into arguments a lot, <laughs> which which I'm also comfortable with.
0: So. <laughs> sure. Karen Twelves, episode 42, said for her the distinction between uh, an indie game and a traditional game is that, and again, we're talking about blurred lines here, but just for the purposes of argument, um, that an indie game, um, or sorry, that a traditional game, the focus or at least the goal, if you like, of mm-hmm. the story is to level up your character. And there's a lot of emphasis placed on progressing your character, whereas in indie game, the weight falls more heavily on progressing the story, not so much the character.
1: Um, I think that's, that's a feasible one. Like I, like, um, like I said, uh, what you would do with... Like if I, if, right, given enough time, I would create this gargantuan Venn diagram of all the indie definitions. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, I think that's a perfectly feasible one. I can think of moments in traditional gaming where it didn't follow that pattern Yeah, and oh moments of yeah, indie gaming that didn't follow that pattern. Yes. But but as a general trend, I think that's okay. Well, talking
0: about friends coming over and playing an indie game, what are you playing yeah. now?
1: Oh, I'm in several games now. Um, I am running... I, I just... Ran a Dungeon Crawl classic game for some friends of mine back in New York, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to run the same set of adventures uh, here for a bunch of people. I'm excited about that. That's a fun little game. Um, And it's not little, (laughs) it's a a giant book. Although the game itself is quite simple and easy. Um, And then I have an ongoing Prince Valiant game that I'm running. And I have an ongoing uh, tunnels and trolls game uh, where I'm I'm running with the the bakers and their kids, Um, and that's a lot of fun. And then we have this sort of it's not really an official thing, but it's like this rotating agreement to just test out all the new stuff that all of us are working on. You know, like at any given moment, um, I'm obligated to obligated. Wow. That sounded really bad, sir. <laughs> I am. No matter am what blessed, way you dress this up, I'm going to leave in yes. this loin. <laughs> I am blessed with the opportunity
0: uh,
1: to help latest. I, I, it's, actually, it's a lot of fun, and and oh, I can uh, imagine yeah. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, um, yeah. Those that I think that's the, the rundown of everything. I mean, for a while there, we had some. I had an ongoing shock game, and we were doing Swords of Route We never, the full group never got together Mm. for shock. Um, But that is followed by the wayside, and, uh, yep, busy schedules.
0: So is there anything coming out uh, that you're really looking forward to?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, mm, it's always a very fearful question, because... um, I know the de- I know all these designers. <laughs> mm. and, and so I'm like, I'm thinking through all what all the things that my friends are doing. And I'm like, Oh, I should mention all their okay, stuff. Well, the,
0: okay. Well, without you, without considering your friends, people that you have no idea about it all, except for something cool. You saw and you are then, well, I'm going to check that out when I get a chance. Ah,
1: that's, okay. Um, the, the one that that's really kind of exciting me is, uh, this, um, the regiment, I believe it's called. Right. It, And it's, uh, it's a apocalypse world hack or, um, uh, descendant, um, that is, that does, I think world war two, uh, basically like band of brothers kind of fiction. And, um, one exciting thing about it is that it, it does that. And as far as I understand, there is no magic and there's no steampunk. There's no cybernetics. There's no time travel. It's mm. just straight up World War II drama. Nice. And uh, I'm excited about that. Nice. And uh, mainly because, it, I mean, that's the thing that sticks in the back of my head every so often where I'm like, oh, I wish I knew enough about that subject to design that. And yes. now that somebody's doing the job right i'm i'm ha- i couldn't be happier
0: right, and what about for yourself? you got anything uh, coming up I know you were were talking about a, a zombie game um right that uh that you're working on um and anything else
1: well i've got yeah so day of the call is a uh zombie game it it too is a bit of a apocalypse world descendant um uh it was something that every so often a game will come almost fully formed <laughs> it will bubble up mm. and uh I, f- I think that the uh structure of apocalypse world uh helps that happen like it's it basically says here's something you can barf your game onto and mm. and, you, <laughs> and you know it's going to work um and
0: uh, obligated to playtest yeah, barf yes. onto and, apocalypse world <laughs> <laughs>
1: there you go um <laughs> And and it's also uh, to some extent uh, a hack of time and temp, um, uh, which I actually haven't talked about a little bit. But time and temp was the game I did right after Dread. Right. Well, not not right after, but like it's, it's the second game that I published, and first one that I self published. Right. And um, time and temp, uh, it's a time travel game, and I had this thing, this problem uh, that uh, time travel is. Causal, and you know, like, how do you do that? How do you make sure that this happened before you know it's going to happen because you haven't played the part where that's going to somebody's going to do that or whatever? And it occurred to me that like my favorite time travel stories are all puzzles, right? And puzzles are tremendously difficult to do in role playing games, Uh, or rather, they're difficult. uh, They're they're not tremendously difficult to do. They're actually. Notoriously a part of role playing games, right? Uh, and but they're difficult to say. I've got a game here now. Game master, make up puzzles, right? Right. That's an unfair burden for the game master. So what Time and Temp s- says is, you don't have to figure out the whole puzzle thing. You just have to figure out like the weird thing, uh, the, the anachronistic thing. And, um, just shout information at the players Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the game system itself is a bit of a puzzle, like where dread uses a Jenga tower Mm -hmm. time and temp uses something, uh, a bit like Sudoku, uh, where they're trying to figure out a, uh, uh, number puzzle right? and th- the better they are at it the more time traveling powers they have and right, sure. the worse they are at it the closer they get to destroying all of the universe in a paradox
0: right sure nice
1: and and uh it's that playing of that puzzle while playing out fiction that is ostensibly a puzzle but not really because you don't have to worry about figuring it out you'll you'll figure it out like it'll be sure given to you, but combining the two makes it feel like your characters are figuring out a puzzle because you are figuring out this number puzzle. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, that was something that, uh, that Meg Baker and I spoke about um, previously, um, and it ties in a little bit with what you are saying about um, GURPS there, just this idea of you know setting and the type of story you're wanting to tell to inform the mechanic rather than develop the mechanic and then sort of baff something on top of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly, um, and and so the way this goes into uh, my barfing onto Apocalypse World um, is that uh, I had sat down and watched a lot of The Walking Dead, right? Um, in in October, uh, and I also there's this old Caliber Comics comic, Dead World, right? That, uh, yes. that yeah, it was one when I was a kid that it was like the adults only shelf, mm. and I. Had And I had a friend who had his mom's permission to buy from that shelf. Nice. He would buy them and we'd read them and we'd be like, oh my God, it's so gross. (laughs) And, um, you know, these, these are both, uh, almost the same, they're both the same sort of story, which is the, uh, group of survivors, uh, after a zombie apocalypse trying to make their way through the landscape and survive. Mm -hmm. And so I have, um, the, these sort of internal bits of apocalypse world that i like it's not the game doesn't look like apocalypse world by any stretch um but i i I take those internal bits that i like and then i attach them to the this countdown to extinction thing that i like in uh time and temp
0: right
1: and and i've got this uh struggle to to find the resources that you need before the dead overwhelm you Mm, you know nice uh, sort of game
0: yes awesome
1: yeah, and it's, uh, it's GM-less, gm full whichever yes. terminology you prefer. Uh, it's designed, everyone sits down and makes up, you have your, everyone makes up a few survivors in the group and you slowly weed them out. <laughs>
0: mm. <And laughs> is Swiss there me. any way that people can go to sort of see the progress on that? And, of course, um, of uh, Swords Without Master?
1: Oh, sure, yes. Um, well, uh if you're on G Plus, find me there. That's where I'm usually most vocal about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh and then I post about it on my website, uh dig one thousand holes dot com and the thousand one thousand is the number there, so
0: Right, sure. D I G one zero 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 dot com. sorry, one zero 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 H O L E S dot com.
1: Yeah. Um or if you just search for Epidaya, you'll find it. Like it's um but uh i haven't talked about call on the website yet because i'm just going to put it up there when i'm done with it um, i should be done with it fairly soon sure. it was this sort of game that blew up in my head and i was like i have to either either this gets out now or it goes on the queue and i don't see it for until i forget why mm. i was so excited about it yes yeah and then um and then after that i have to finish up swords without master which right. is coming along um that's been my, uh, uh, I, it, it's a, it's a tough one for me to, uh, well, it's not tough. It's actually, it's, it's a, it's a labor of love. The problem is that Swords of Outmaster is, is the closest to, uh, what I wanted when I first started role-playing. Right. Uh, and so this is sort of like, i I'm, I'm fulfilling these promises that I made you know two and a half decades ago
0: hmm. uh
1: to myself and uh I'm being very exacting about it hmm. you're, <laughs> um, you're
0: fleshing out that game that you ran for your brother in the car on the way back home
1: right 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 um in uh it is this uh love song to sword and sorcery and uh it's sort of this um I found in the process of doing, I've been working on it since, Oh, I think like three or four years now. And, uh, there've been a couple times where I've had to excise D and D from my brain, Mm. uh, because it like my history with D and D and sword and sorcery is tied together, but the actual history of sword and sorcery in D and D really isn't that intermingled until D and D shows up. right? Right. And, uh, I'm trying to create a game that would exist in a world, uh, where D and D had not occurred. Right. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that's not my design goal, but that is, uh, uh, ultimately that's what I, what I, uh, saw that I was doing. Right. Like, right. Of course. And, um, so to that end I end up because like all role players, I'm, D and D is part of my actual DNA. Mm-hmm. I, I have to excise it every so often. Sure, <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. And uh,
0: yeah. So, what's your favorite book or supplement, other than something that you've uh, something that you've written?
1: Um. One, one. Okay. So, one of my favorites that I keep kind of digging back to is uh, that that I've played. I mean, I've got some favorites that like. I go back to and think, someday, someday, mm. someday we'll play. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, they may be my favorites because I've never had a chance to play them, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> like,
0: yes, yeah, yeah, sure. They're yes. the perfect, they, they, they perfect game as long as you don't play them.
1: Right, right. Uh, but one game that I, I go back to uh, at least once a year, I think, about is uh, the uh, Sanguine Publishing's version of Usagi Yojimbo.
0: Oh, yeah, run right on, yeah.
1: And uh, this is, uh, I, there's the Greg Stolze one, and this is not that one, I guess. And, and uh, that game, um, the, so that game was what I would consider fairly traditional, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I see, and I have no desire to see my illusions dispelled here, but uh, I, I see designers that are really, really thinking about their subject there. Mm. And uh, the combat system in that game feels, in play, feels so much like a Kurosawa movie to me. Right. Uh, like the, the yeah, this, what do you do this round? Well, I, I stand and gather my focus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does the mm-hmm. opponent do? He stands and gathers as a focus. And they're like, all right, well we 're going to hit, and when that does only one of us is going to be standing <laughs> right, you know?
0: yeah, yeah the descriptive that descriptive combat or just that, just taking the time to think about what's actually helping helps to sort of tell that story inside your head or at least to make it you know like to make it play out like a movie right
1: right right and and like uh, you know and there's just neat lots of neat little hooks in the system, and uh you know it doesn't it doesn't do uh anything on the side of like projecting the story along or anything like that, you still have to bring your skills as a traditional game player and traditional, uh, GM to make that happen. Mm. But that's fine. I've, you know, amongst my friends were capable and, uh, and what it does do and what it does have. I, I really dig. So that is definitely one that I, uh, I I, like once a year, I I think, you know, I should trick someone into playing this with me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so if you could cause one game or supplement to cease to exist, what would it be? And this doesn't mean that, you know, you, there's a game that you, you just don't like for any right. number of reasons, just like something particular about it. Like the one that I've, I've bought it before is traveler uh, for me, classical travel, because it's the first game I played and I spent hours creating my character. Um, and my, again, similar story to you, my friend's older brother said, no, no, just keep your character in character generation one more time. It'll be great. And then he died during <laughs> character generation. Um, and I didn't actually get to play. Um, and then, uh, Somebody also said, I think Robert Ball, it might have been said. Um, I would like to see Dungeons and Dragons cease to exist, just so they could see how the hobby would uh, would would turn out. So, mm-hmm. um, is there anything that strikes you as?
1: Well, I'm glad I'm glad Rob said that because that means I don't have to. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I agree with him there. Like, I, I like. Well, expand
0: idea. on that because that was an interesting uh, I and genesis, I guess, of uh, of your game, Swords of that Master.
1: Yeah. Well, it's. Um, you know what? Like, it's not so much that I don't, I don't want the first one to exist. Maybe mm. I, I would like role playing to start with, uh, um, maybe Boot Hill and then Tunnels and Trolls. And, you know, and then because what it is, I think it's the uh, the emphasis we put on that game. Mm. That that's the uh, and I do it too. Like I'm not like pointing my fingers. Like, damn you, people! You don't know. And like I. Like I can't not think about that game, mm. uh, not not all the time, but like cyclically, it comes yes, up. And I'm, sure, and um, but I think you know my my actual answer for this would be uh, third edition of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Uh, and I I think, um, because and it's hard because I mean, like you know. Let's let's assume the best possible result of removing it from the timeline. Let's sure. not, because because it, 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 removing it from the timeline may mean uh, that's it. You know, <laughs> role playing yes. was killed by video games mm. yes. somewhere in two thousand five, and we right. were done. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if we assume the best possible result of that, uh, I, uh, I mean, I've, I've actually. Um, I think we have stuff now that is better suited to be, like, exactly what I was saying about Apocalypse World before, actually, was that, you know, it's a lovely structure for you to barf your game onto, right? Mm-hmm. I think third edition D&D is a horrendous structure for you to barf your game onto. Right. And I saw so many games barfed onto it. Right. That I, I, uh, and I, I kept buying them. <laughs> I, kept, I kept, you know, picking them up and, uh, like there's some, uh, like I'm probably mispronouncing, it, but Naomi, the African adventures one, uh, is one that like, I love the world. I'd love to play in it, but it's third edition, mm. and I, you know, mm. and I, and, and I just can't bring myself to do it. And, right. um, uh, and you, you know, I say that and, and. Dungeon Crawl Classics, which I'm enjoying quite a bit now, is it's based, It's trying to get an old school feel, but it's using stuff from Third Edition, although not a whole. I mean, just the stuff that Third Edition learned from people's. Well, anyways, uh, you know, like you can you can trace the the lineage sure. all the way back to old school home rules and stuff sure. like that. Sure, uh, it definitely comes through Third Edition, right. but I don't hate that it's there. I just it, it's, it was just so prevalent yes. that it's it's going to be...
0: That uh, that idea, um, I think, that that people... Because probably, and this may be completely inaccurate, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Um, those games like Naomi, um yeah. almost it's... I wonder whether the designers of that were like, okay, what wagon am I going to hitch this idea to? I'm going to choose that.
1: Right. I think Naomi in fact, uh, actually was... Uh, maybe this is rumor. I might be, I might be just sending rumor down the line. But I think it was originally supposed to be an Ars Magica supplement or something like that, right? And they knew that it wouldn't ever sell that way. Yes. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, like it's. I think it's exactly what you're about to say is that they're just they have an idea they want to hitch it to something, hmm. and it – yeah. I agree,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they hitched it to at least, in uh, in your opinion, in mind too. If I'm honest, um, you know the wrong thing, like just to have gone on their own. I mean, maybe they would have sold fewer units, but you know, what's the yeah? That's we're getting into a whole philosophical wormhole there. Let's leave that on alone. So, if you could only be yeah. a player or a GM, which would you choose? Assuming well, that a game well, requires a GM, yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> well, that, good. Um, I probably probably GM. I end up. Uh, I end up GMing when I'm a player. <laughs> right, right. Uh, th- Like, when you look at all the things that GMs do, and you, you divide them up, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of different things. And some of them occur before the game. Like, uh, it's kind of w- weird when you think about it that we say the GM has to organize when we play. Hmm. Um we don't actually say it out loud, but it just happens that way. Mm. Uh, maybe the GM's the most important player, so that's why it's happening. But, like, it, it it wouldn't hurt another player to say, Hey, GM, when are you available? Okay, who's available on these days? You know, like, to facilitate mm. that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's a ton of things like that that just keep falling into the GM's lap. And one of them is sort of this... Uh, um. I guess the, uh, the entertainment director, you mm. know, like like yes. the, the the person that's making sure you're having a good time, the good host, yes. And I find myself I cannot turn that part off. Right. So if even if I'm a player and I'm in a game, and I'm I'm seeing somebody just start to lose a little interest or something like that, I even. I'm probably even a shitty player cuz I probably bug the GM to give them a <laughs> ball. Like like I don't know. Uh like I don't I can't think of instances instances where that's happened but like I just uh have that urge to somehow make sure that like if somebody's attention's waning they get spotlights so they have something to do or More. you know and if I'm the GM, I'm better positioned to do that.
0: Right. Ryan Macklin, episode 30, was talking about that, that exact idea where, you know, you've got a – I mean, he said an alpha player. and I don't know um, whether you've got a special a special word for it. But uh, in any case, you know, like just being not, – not only being a, – a, a, when you're a GM, making sure that everybody's, you know, getting their time in the spotlight and having fun, but even as a player trying to figure out ways to involve other people and, and get them to have a, have a better time is sort of, like you say, sort of encroaching on, you know, the sort of where the GM, um, the where the GM would originally have their domain, right? Like now right. that we're getting into this, um, I don't know, say say we, but now that um, some games are sort of more emphasizing, let's tell a cool story together. You know, some of those skills are bleeding out into more traditional um, GM player type type situations. So that seems like what you're describing,
1: right? And there's also like the opposite of that that happens where um uh, and this is another thing I like about being a GM: is that, like, if you can get the players embroiled in a way where you don't have to be involved for a little while, yeah, yeah, and then you can just sit back and think about it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really enjoyed that as well. Um,
0: yeah. Going to the flip know. side of that, have you have yeah. you ever found yourself in a situation where you're actually having to role play more than one NPC at a time that's having a conversation? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have identified that as the weirdest thing that I ever have to do as a as a GM where I've got one player, one NPC talking to another NPC, having an argument or something like that.
1: Right, right. I tend to tell stories more than act out. So, right. like, I I'll I often say the, what's, uh, you know, happening in front of them instead of acting it out and then having people... Uh, try and step in and improv a little something like the, I'm not too good with the improv. I think right. is what it is. Sure. Or um, yeah, and and so uh, I, I do run into those situations, but like the 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 further outside my you know wheelhouse, the more off, the, the more likely I am to just start telling you the story <laughs> you know like oh there's a couple guys and they're arguing and one of them is a little you know shady looking and uh another one is intent you know he's sitting there and he's paying attention to the argument but he's not saying anything and you can see that his knuckles are whitening you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and 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 then people are like oh okay i can see what's going on you sure. know
0: and then they'll step in and, and yeah yeah sure so what's the perfect number of people to role play?
1: That's a good. um, I have often thought that that's six, a GM and five players. Right. But I cannot tell you if that's based on any sort of fact. Sure. (laughs) That that has just been my uh, default ideal since um, I can remember. Right. Uh, I've run things for more. And it, I've run you know for six, seven, or eight people and have been okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's been disastrous. Uh, and I run things. I've, I've run even one-on-one games. Yes. Um, but like I think that I feel like critical mass is somewhere between four and five players if right. you're GMing it.
0: Yeah. Right. One of the um, relatively common asked that question is three people in the and the GM um, and. I can see five as well, but I don't like the idea of four. I think that for a, a traditional GM players type scenario, I think that having that odd number of players is ideal because you don't get the perfect split down the middle. You, you've got a, an argument, and you've also got a tiebreaker.
1: Right, right, and and you've got um, the you've got an omega dog, right? Mm. If if people take, you know, like if they're like, oh yeah, uh, you paladin, come with me, and and then the wizard's like, oh, I'll take the ranger. And then the thief is like, what? <laughs> you know? Um, no, I, I agree. Like, uh, it, actually it's interesting. Like I, I say that five, um, but swords without master, uh, is very specific about the number of players you can have. You have an over player, uh, which is my clever term for a GM in that game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, either three or four players, but you, uh, you're advised against any more than that. Right. And, um, and, I actually do prefer three players in that game. Uh, right. But, and I, it has a little bit to do with that, I think. I think um, it's also like a... I don't know. It's also something about how... Uh, a, a di- yeah, you can easily form a dynamic unit hmm. with with those odd numbers, I think. Yeah. Because you got the tiebreaker, you got people... Um, you know, an odd one out or just the, the extra help for the one side that needs it for that moment or, you know, whatever, like, yeah, it's unbalanced and that's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The, um, Oh, and by the way, I didn't say it before, but that's a great name that that Swords Without Master, um, particularly oh, when thinking about it in the context of you know I, I'm not I'm not sure if this is the way you were going, but this may be you know, like the um, the overexposure to English teachers in the past, but you know <laughs> like that, that you know the, the the title Swords Without Master, and then when we're talking about you know the Dungeons and Dragons thing, and like this is my game that would be written without that, and you know, like I don't know if that was intentional, but like the idea of a sword and sorcery game that doesn't have a you know Dungeons and Dragons as it, as its
1: master, right. Well, there there are actually uh, well there's several intentional uh interpretations that like one of the things that i had to do uh, i know i started off talking earlier about how i'm cool with genres having fuzzy lines and mm, mm. and all that and uh but to write this game i had to say sword and sorcery is this mm. uh and um and i had to be I had to draw my lines and say specifically what they are. And my lines are not what people might expect. Right. There, there are things that I, I definitely include in Sword and Sorcery that may not be by the greater public. Uh, and there's things that I probably exclude that most people would be like, yes, that is Sword and Sorcery. But I have to draw lines like I, like I yeah. to, to know what I'm doing there. Yeah, that's really
0: important for the creative process, right, to have some boundaries.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I was actually at a panel at a convention that was talking about Sword and Sorcery, and people were asking me to define it, and I said, well, because I'm writing this game, I can define it this way, but <laughs> yeah. talk to me the day after it's published, and I will be free to not define it at all. <laughs> mm,
0: that's right, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um
1: But one of the things that, that I was uh, looking at in this game is, in the game you play rogues. Yes. Um and this is not in the necessarily in the D and D sense where they're all thieves, but this is in the sort of classical sense. This is um, the old meaning of the word is a legal term, meaning somebody who um, neither owns land nor is obviously employed. Right. And and you know, in the olden days in feudal society, this is important because this is somebody. Who is probably a thief, right? Right. If they, if they, if they're not the you know journeyman apprentice to the blacksmith uh, or uh, a serf on you know or a lord or a duke or you know whatever, um, then they're getting their money some way that doesn't fit within our society, right? And uh, that's the the idea is that. Uh, The characters in this game, being rogues, are existing in this world where everyone else is either uh, a master or a slave. Right. And uh, that matched so much of the Sword and Sorcery fiction that I was looking at that I was like, okay, good. That that's <laughs> yeah. That is definitely the, the the description there that I'm going for. Mm. And and that comes into the title, right? Like they're swords, they're swords for hire that do not have a master, uh, and people immediately think of like Ronin and, you mm. know, things like that. But then there's also, you know, the without master, without parallel, without mm. peer. Yes, yeah. Um, and yes. And there's also the without D and D and, uh, obviously I fudge a little and instead of having a game master, I have an over player. Mm. Uh, sure. and, and like a lot of the way it's written is to be like, you know, you're the rogue players. You're there to defy the overplayer. Mm. You, know? <laughs> you know? Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, so what's the optimal amount of time to, uh, to role play? I, mean, I know it varies from game to game, but you know, like, what do you think is a good amount of time to sit down for?
1: That's, uh, you know, I've been craving extremes on both ends. <laughs> right. Uh, so, like I said before about having, you know, the GM and the five players at night, like, I have no data for that for the longest time like because i was running almost exclusively at conventions or events and things four hours was the slot right Mm. like Mm. and that was um and you get to you 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 get in the habit of designing to that right Mm. like like swords of master i've managed to that game i could play out an entire game i've done it in 45 minutes, wow. uh, which is actually the, I think the current record for how fast <laughs> I played the game. And, uh, and it was like an, a full, complete story yes. with a satisfying beginning, middle and end and everything. And, and, uh, I was like, when we were done, we were all, it was online, but we were all kind of looking at each other like, wow, that was over. Mm. Can't believe that happened. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and I like that. And, uh, I I want to see more of that. Partly because of being an adult with a bunch of adult friends who all have schedules, Mm. many of which have children who then also have schedules, and it just isn't the same thing. Mm. But wouldn't it be lovely to just have a weekend Mm -hmm. where you could just play for 12 hours or 14 hours straight? Right. Like, like, you know with breaks maybe like you mm. know with you go out to eat and yeah yeah what shower maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just <laughs> just for fun get done yeah. uh but like I, i've just been kind of like i remember doing that not all the time but a few times in my past and i don't remember what happened on those weekends so it's probably indicative of how much fun they actually are yeah yeah, yeah. but but i still kind of you know still kind of crave it you I know mean, for just sure.
0: Yeah, I can see that there's a certain um like like that type of game is epic right away because like you did play for so long it must be epic right like that's right right and so you tell an epic tale in an epic amount of time or an epic weekend you know like it it, to me it's almost got that built in from the start you know we're going to sit down and this is going to be awesome we're going to play this and this and then you know and if you could actually get it to end at the at the end you know that would be that would be fabulous right i could add an extra something to it right
1: right right exactly
0: so how do you prepare for a game session
1: Oh, um, I mean, it's obviously largely uh, dependent on the game itself. Sure, let's Uh, assume
0: it's like a it's a GM and and players, and not a sort of make it up as you go along type situation.
1: Yeah, Um, I I really I'm not a um, actually I'm starting to come over to uh, published material. In that case, like, I, I really do enjoy coming up with my own stuff if I'm going to run a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm starting to appreciate the art of what other people are doing when right. they publish an adventure. But I also think people are starting to understand what um, needs to be in an adventure. Mm-hmm. Like, I, they start to think of the adventure in terms of how a player would interact with it. Right. Uh and because in the old days, and I'm going to make a sweeping generalization here that will, if anyone cares what I'm saying, it will bite me in the ass. But in the <laughs> old days, <laughs> um, in the old days, like a lot of these adventures were written for the GMs. Right. You know, like the GMs would read them and have a little chuckle about this or blah, blah, blah. Or Here's a little thing that the players will never, ever discover. Yes. Uh, but you get to know about it. And yeah. yeah. It's, it's not wondrous. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, for sure and um i think we're we're starting to really see uh an understanding that hey wh- what we're s- who we're selling to are these these players there's more of them than gms yes. so at at a just an economic demand <laughs> hmm. we should we should be uh we should be making them like children demanding toys on christmas demanding our adventures yeah, right? yeah. yep for sure And um, I'm starting to see some of that, and uh, uh, I'm starting to enjoy that. Like, that's good stuff. But I have to say that my actual process for getting prepared for a game is to spend like a week or two or three, depending on how long it takes to schedule it, super excited about it, reading Mm. the books and blah, blah, blah. And then within about two or three hours of the game, just almost sick to my stomach with butterflies. Right. That's my process. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: yeah. So should males uh, play females in game and vi- and vice versa? And you can take this two ways. One, like you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't play cross gender. Or two, mm. people should really look at role playing um, as a way to explore different different things. And you know, like whether you should actually take that role right. bit but seriously.
1: Well, um. I, I've got, um, I, I think I've got two answers to them and they're both the same and they're both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of them is uh, like, I, I take this approach to role playing, uh, that is the same approach I take to, uh, you know, sex, like what, what you do in your bedroom, your business, not mine. Yep. I, I don't. I, you know, I'm, I might be interested. Actually, I am. I, uh, <laughs> I'll be honest and upfront about that. But, but I have no right to, to tell you what you can and can't do. You know, sure. like that's as long as consenting adults and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, like I feel like that's very much the same with role playing games. And I think that that's actually a hard thing for people to keep in mind. Mm. Uh, I mean, like in, in this case where it's you know male versus female, it's um, you know, wh- whether a male should play a female or vice versa, like, uh, you know, people be like, oh yeah, yeah, that isn't a problem or blah, blah, blah. But like, uh, should a white person play a person of color? Um, right, should right. you, should you, if you're, you know, uh, if you should you be allowed to play a bigot? You know, like the question as it gets broader, um, becomes more and more difficult. And, uh, the more and more I want to say that that's a personal answer for the group that's playing it, right? Like, um, so that's my one, that's one answer. And the other answer, uh, has to do, uh, recently my wife and I, Emily, care boss, who's my lovely wife. Uh, we we actually just got married almost a year ago. Uh, right. it be like a year ago, a week from now. Um, but anyways, right. um, for our uh, honeymoon, we went to Denmark and uh, Finland right. uh, for a couple conventions out that way. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them was for, um, Fostaval is what it's called. And it's a Danish convention, uh, that takes, it's like a five day convention. It's insanely long. Hmm. It starts on a Thursday and it ends like people get the bus to go home midway on the Monday. Right. Um, and, uh, they run these amazing scenarios. It's sort of like this microculture of gaming where, um, you want to talk about indie games like this is a person who's written a game only to be run at this convention right and um the game will probably be run four or five times uh by as many game masters at that convention and then that'll be it and uh and they do it over and over again and they have award ceremonies and stuff like that and it's kind of insane and the games that they come up with are really kind of interesting uh but their uh, their focus is it's uh, paint it with a broad brush and I, I really shouldn't because I'm <laughs> probably probably introducing a bunch of people to this right now but their focus is a little bit more on the emotional content of things right uh, so they want to uh, like they their jokes about like you know you haven't played a fossil game if you haven't cried you know that kind right. of thing right. and um, and I, when I was there, I played and I managed to avoid most of the highly emotional ones, mm. not necessarily intentionally, but the, um, but I had a lot of fun and I did enjoy. Uh, and then the uh, but where I'm getting at is that then we went over to Finland for uh, what is it's a convention that's held in different Nordic countries each year, so it has different names. It's like Noodle Punk, Nodal Point, Solmakota, like there's And I'm probably mispronouncing every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, a convention about uh, Nordic LARP. Right. And Nordic LARP is uh, this sort of ground for highly experimental uh, LARPing. Um, and the things that I've seen come out of there... Uh, particularly when it comes to addressing things like gender, um, hmm. which brings us back to your initial question, uh, it, it is really interesting. Like they, they've, um, they have a game. I don't remember the name of it. I would sound really smart if I did. Uh, that took the concept of gender and instead of breaking it up based on your genitalia, they broke it up on whether you're a morning person or a night person. Hmm. And then they played over the course of a weekend in an enclosed space where they had control over the lights right. so that they could get something like a bunch of different days in there. Yes. And, uh, and people come out of that saying that it was completely transformative. Like mm. they, they, by the end of the weekend, they were thinking in terms of this bizarre gender construct yes. rather than what we normally have. Right. And, and I, I see nothing but value coming out of that unless it, break someone <laughs>
0: <laughs> unless <laughs> yes
1: um, but but so there's a lot of interesting things to be done with that i think and and uh, i think um, as long as you take pains not to be um you know to do it to the best of your ability not not to to try to avoid uh drag or blackface or or mm. you know um, but to um, to honestly try and get into an, uh, the, the mind of, of somebody different than you uh, mm. I, I think that it, it's generally a good thing.
0: Yeah oh, yeah. well that's the thing isn't it like ROL you playing right you actually want to try and you know, take on something different it's an opportunity to act I suppose perhaps I mean, for myself, maybe not so terribly well, but you know, like to to have a, an opportunity to try and actually be something different and maybe maybe explore something. So right. just along along with that, um, people. It strikes me that um, people say, you know, like it's, the internet's great um, because mm-hmm. it it uh, it brings people together that wouldn't ordinarily get a chance to speak. You, know, you and I are speaking right now. There's no way this could have happened on the internet, um, right. and you get exposure to all these different cultures and ideas and you know it's a great big melting pot and so on and so forth um and there are other people that say well you know like this is making people more insular um and you know they're talking to people but they lose all those subtle nuances of of intonation if they're just typing away or Mm -hmm. you know like and they don't get to deal with body language and and people don't have so many aren't so gracious Um, When it comes to conversations on the internet Like I know that that if I'm talking To somebody and they say something My natural reaction is not Okay, they're saying something offensive and I'm going to get on them Straight away. I'm like, okay, they're forming an Idea here. Maybe maybe i haven't quite understood exactly what they're saying so i'm going to let them talk a little bit longer okay yeah i get what they're saying right it takes a while mm-hmm. for you to actually go you know what i think that a person's actually out to lunch There, they're a bigot or they're a racist or they're a or they're a right. green or they're a brown or they're a, a purple or they're a left or they're a right it takes you, you give people the opportunity to really fully describe their idea before jumping on them but on the internet when there's typing going on um You know, somebody has a thought and then that thought is the whole thing. There's no room for them to to talk about it more. As soon as somebody doesn't like the look of it, they're on it straight away and we don't have any of that. And then my feeling is, and and please refer to disagree, is that that has then gone ahead and transferred back to non-internet speakers that people are, are giving less opportunity for people to explain themselves. And so the default now is take offense. If you can take offense, take it. Take it right. s- as quickly as you can, and then and then jump on it, and hope that people will dogpile with with you onto that idea. Now it's not that extreme when it's it's not face to face, but people's natural knee jerk reaction is not benefit of the doubt. Now it seems to me that people's natural reaction now is is attack. You know, like I've I've seen something, I'm going to attack.
1: I would agree insofar as to say that, like I've 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 noticed similar. I mean, like it's hard to say because like. Uh, you would keep thinking that like political discourse has reached an all time low, like every, like every time it's always an all time low. Um, Mm. and then some historian will come along and tell you about some presidential debate in the past or something like that, that, that would shock you and surprise you. Right. Mm -hmm. We always, we always think that our generation is the worst. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, um, but, um, I think, uh, like specifically just thinking about uh, role-playing games, uh, it's so very difficult to, um, yeah. The the benefit of the doubt thing. Like I, I find that, um, there's this experience that I've had where it's like, Oh, I've just had the worst time role-playing. Uh, want to tell you about it. And I type it out. I said, and we did this and the GM made it so that when we turned the corner, uh, you know, all the – the. you know, we were playing a, a D&D game and we'd killed all these goblins. And then, then when we turned the corner, we came across the goblin nursery. Mm-hmm. And, oh, look, you've killed all the parents of these these poor baby kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and, uh, and I'm trying to just let people know that, like, the GM – pulled the rug out from underneath me, right? Like, right. Like, he said that the game was going to be like this, and it was a, what I like to call, surprise, you were Hitler all along game. Yes, and, yeah, yep. and, uh, and so, like, I, I write out what happened, and people are going to read that, and they have no experience of me, they have no experience of my game, mm-hmm. uh, they've never played, and uh, with um, the group that I'm talking about, they don't, they weren't there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh they read that, and they think, "I would love that game. think mm-hmm. of all the emotional turmoil and the blah 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 mm-hmm. and what they're and they're not wrong no like no. like they could possibly in fact like, based like,
0: on the information that they have right
1: right exactly that actually sounds kind of you know like um if you're ready for a a young know, game like but like there's this there's there's something happening in that communication where you're inviting people to uh, pass judgment on so little information, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we're not all we're not all writers, no. we're not all um, even those of us that write. <laughs> no, sure. Uh, and it's it's uh, yeah. I I mean I think I agree. Like like I see. Um, I see people say things that I know that in a bar it would make people roll their eyes and, mm-hmm. and, or there would be a tense moment, uh, but it wouldn't be this epic, you know, uh, friendship ending no. bloodbath, that, you know, and, um, and, you know, it, uh, Half the time is we're just offended by somebody else's ignorance, right? And sure. how, how unuseful that is. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but, but I understand also because it's like uh, it's hard to keep explaining the same thing. It's exhausting. Yep. to keep explaining the same thing over and over again. So as each new person comes up, that's ignorant mm. of the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, like I mean, we're talking in general terms, but I think this applies to just, uh, talking about, like, I, I find this, all of these things applying when talking about, uh, games and game design. Mm. Um, uh, a lot of times when i talk about game design on the internet I, I i lead with a kind of a strong because if you if you lead strong if you punch them in the face mm-hmm. people respond
0: that's right yeah yeah that's exactly
1: <laughs> and, right. and um yeah, maybe that's a horrible thing about reality and maybe that's a horrible thing about me but it's <laughs> happening right like it's it's a thing and and um i don't always believe my strong lead uh no. and and um But sometimes I do, and sometimes I'm leading strong to uh, just say, hey, this is going to be, if you want to be involved in this discussion, you have to accept this fact. If I say all role-playing games are about whether or not you're in character, and somebody says, well, that's, you know, I can think of these role-playing games where it doesn't matter if you're in character or not, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, uh, that's not what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm on a bit of a tangent. I, I don't know where I was going with all that. I apologize.
0: <laughs> no, no. I think that what you're, you're saying is that, um, it's difficult to get a, um, to develop a, a, a rational, sensible discourse when, when people's reaction to your deliberately inflammatory initial statement, um, is to go to hate, not go to, you know what? He's actually posing a question, which he, well, I mean, I do it every week, but um opposing a question or stating something in a fashion that's going to elicit a response. And it's not necessarily for the purposes of forcing that idea on somebody, but for getting right. a discourse.
1: And, and like, uh, I, you know, it may come down to that. We just have far larger audiences than we're used to. Yeah. Um, you know like uh, I can sit down with a bunch of friends uh at a coffee shop or a bar I often use those as examples as over a drink of some sort and um there's a limit to the number of people that are gonna hear my voice yes. yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> and and i can I can deal with that limit and I can uh have discussions with them and we can bring each other all onto the same page and have something fruitful happen. Right. And that limit is probably very similar to the number of people that are optimum for a role-playing game.
0: (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank
1: you. And and as we get more and more people uh, joining the conversation, um, uh, sometimes these people have uh, very insightful things to say, and sometimes they don't. And they can derail things, mm. and uh, it's not i don't know I don't yeah. know what the answer is there yet uh, yeah. but it's it's interesting to see,
0: yeah um, everybody could just be nicer to each other, right like give people the benefit of the doubt for a, a few yeah. a few sort of back and forth in an, in an exchange that'd be it's really for me that'd be that'd be a great start. I think we could all get along a lot better, but hey, it's fun to be angry with people too, I guess sometimes um so yeah. do you or should GMs fudge dice rolls?
1: <laughs> um. Well, I, so dread.
0: Uh, yes. It's yeah. not possible. No, ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I think that that's, that's probably part of it, right? But going to the flip of that, you were talking about how you described the two guys having the conversation. Somebody's knuckles are getting white. You know, you're kind of playing the, the tale out, out for them. It must be right. – You know, like you're like I want to relinquish the story at this point, and then somebody goes ahead and blows a roll or rolls a critical, and then oh, my story's just gone down the drain. It must be (laughs) so tempting to, you know, like oh, they rolled a something different than they actually rolled that none of you saw.
1: Well, so there's a thing that happens uh, when I design games that I end up um, uh, daring myself as a GM. Like, so so in Dread before Dread i i think i i i feel like if somebody really searched the uh like Usenet archives they could find me arguing for fudging die rolls mm-hmm. and um I just want to say that that man who was me back then is an idiot and <laughs> uh and and so dread is I'm so
0: pleased you said that because that's gonna plan perfectly the second half of this question, and then maybe you're not going to oh it
1: anymore. <laughs> well, cause so Dread um forced me to not be able to do that, right? So I right. designed this game and then I'm like, Wow, I can't change what happens. I have to deal with what happens. And not only do I have to deal with what happens is like the rule is in Dread, if that Jenga Tower falls, for whatever reason, hmm. whoever made it fall dies. And yes. I have had, it hasn't happened a lot, but I've had, I had somebody get up at a con game and the, they had like a tablecloth on the, on the, on the table and they went up to pull a soda, get a soda and and they pulled on the cloth a little bit and the tower came down. Right. And I had to have, you know, I, I described this as if you've ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I don't know. Um, if you haven't, I highly recommend it, it is my, one of my all time favorite horror films. Right. Um, the original, uh, and, yeah. And yes. And, uh, have a, either someone there that you can hold hands with, or <laughs> yeah. they have a lap. You can cry in afterwards because right. this is the, but, um, the, there's that, the very, very, I, th- I think the guy's name is Kurt. He goes into the house and he's asking, uh, He's asking for help. Is anyone there? Is anyone there? And then the door opens. Bam. <laughs> and he goes down and he twitches on the ground and he gets pulled in and the door slams shut.
0: Right.
1: And sorry, I just gave that away. Um, <laughs> and the, but like when you first see that moment, you just just staring at the screen. You're like, Wait, hey, what? holy oh. shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, like and. So that's what I get to do in Dread. Like, Mm -hmm. because that's what everyone's feeling. They see that tower go down, and they're like, oh, God. And especially if that wasn't a player doing anything. Mm -hmm. So there's some other player who's like, I'm going to go. And then this person in the back of the group just gets their throat slit, you know, and just falls down, and and everyone's like, oh, my God, what just happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, Absolutely. So so that is. so dread there teaches me this lesson that I can't, I can't ignore. Right. Yeah, you know, these die rolls, or, or rather, it's fun not to. It's it's sure. it, It's fun to take that leap, hmm. uh, and like, even it ends up all the way at the end, like with uh, Swords of the uh, Master in that game. Like it's specifically written in the rules that. Um, I talk about dramatic irony in that game. If if somebody hasn't told you what something means about the future, like if I say that uh, there's some, um, you walk into a room and there's scratching in the walls, right? Mm -hmm. If I haven't told you what that scratching in the walls means, Mm -hmm. then that is fair game for anyone else. If they get the chance to define what that is. Right. Uh, And that makes it, utterly impossible for me as the overplayer in this case to have this precious story at all like i can't, like i got the white knuckle guy and i may have an idea of what he's going to do but if somebody else gets a chance to make him do something mm-hmm. i have to then uh run with that i have to right. uh um and and each yeah so that's another like that was forcing me to go that way
0: right so the second part of that question is it's interesting you should say that um about like if you look back in the usenet archives and and so on and so forth because one of the first pieces of um the first pieces of criticism i suppose i got for for my book is that at at one point in the game in my notes I, i talk about you know like you can you know like don't don't feel bad about about fudging dice rolls um, but it, it was a very specific context, and it, and it ties in nicely with what you're, you're saying before, which is that when you are learning to run a role, uh, to play a role-playing game. And when, when I wrote my game, I wrote it from the standpoint: I'm going to, I'm not going to presuppose any role-playing knowledge. here. I'm going to write a book for somebody who's never known anything about role-playing before. Right. They're going to pick it up, and they're going to be able to play it right through. So there's no what I call a seed player. There's no player that's played before that suddenly makes understanding everything that goes on that much easier. So you've got a person who's coming to a role-playing game. Um, and their only experience with games is like Snakes and Ladders or Game of Life or whatever Where you roll the dice out in the open And whatever the dice comes up That's, right. what, that's what happens and, and that's a very hard and, and fast rule And I guess from my own um, History sort of informed this um, But where I grew up There weren't very many role players around In fact I could sort of count them on one hand And that was the group So as a GM If I really want to play a role playing game I want to make sure that the people coming along to the role-playing game have a great time because I don't want three of them to somebody just say, right. you know, this role-playing sucks. So, you know, you make up your character, they walk into a dungeon, and the first encounter they have, they get killed by a giant rat. They don't get anywhere near the cool treasure. They don't get to do any mm-hmm. of this cool stuff. So there's a bigger... There's a bigger, wider thing going on here, which is you want to try and keep people in the game. So that's what uh, I wrote. That sort of for 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 somebody who's never run anything before, because I I go on to to say later on, and this sort of again ties into what you're talking about, is that as you become more familiar with role playing and this idea of telling a cool story, then your experience will allow you to make any dice roll into something cool. That, that could happen and in some ways it's actually good because it forces you to be creative with what it is that, that, that you see coming up in front of you. So I wonder whether um, there are two factors that go into fudging dice rolls. The first one the first one is without that experience, I think that as a GM, your number one goal is to make sure you get those people coming back next week. You don't go right. hard roll, you're dead, um, make up another character you just had all this fun making this character and i guess maybe that's my achilles heel mm-hmm. this whole traveler thing that i had you know like you know you just made up this cool character and i'm just going to kill it before you get a chance to do anything fun with it it's not adversarial perhaps not right. in the way that gary Gygax identified to start with but so you've got this character you make it and you want to make sure that people have a good time you know they kill the goblins the good guy wins they get the treasure and so on and so forth and you don't have those skills to make a defeat, or make something bad that happens actually a cool, fun part of the story. But as you become more and more familiar with the nuances of your game, the different spells people can cast, maybe all that type of stuff, it gives you more freedom to be able to do that. And the second part of that is, initially, when I was playing, there was no discussion of, um, you know, telling telling a a cool story and, and using those, using the dice to help facilitate that. Because without having a system that could support the type of story that you tell the breadth of systems available to tell the type of stories you want to tell. Sometimes you couldn't get the game to tell the right story if you went along exactly with what it was that the dice right. had. So you could choose to not roll the dice and then editorialize like this happens and this happens, and this happens because you don't want to risk the possibility of your cool story not coming out because of, of dice rolls. So you know, there's a whole bunch of sort of things that, that go into that. And and I'm to you know, Pat, the old Epidae on the back and say, you know what, you, you the reason you're still in role-playing now is because you, you kept a group of players around you for, for 10 or 15 years. And whereas the Epidae now with all these skills could go back and stay true to those roles, the Epidae right, back right. then didn't have the experience to make that possible. And you won by having fun, right? You actually got a chance to keep playing with people that were having a good good time, right?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think, and I think you actually probably hit fairly close to what my argument was back then, because <laughs> right. um, I suspect that my argument back then was something along the lines of, uh, if they're fudging a die roll, it's because the game isn't fun, so fix it. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, absolutely, um, absolutely. And, and um, I think I think you're right, and and uh, uh, it immediately got me thinking about like ways to design that um into a game like like uh um you know get like say hey if you've never played this game before you have three tokens Mm. and and these tokens can be used like you you when you there's a die roll that goes absolutely wrong and derails everything you pick up that token and you first have to think is there any way we can follow this die roll Mm. And, and if you can't, then you can spend the token to fudge it, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and um, or you know, like that kind of. But because I, I agree with you absolutely. Like, if you can't, the very first thing that that a, a role playing game should do. I uh, actually had a uh, discussion about this uh, on uh, G Plus recently, where I talked about um, these two aspects of role playing games that we often get confused, and that is, it that should be exciting and evocative and then i went to define those terms in ways that were confusing to people uh, and what, what i meant was exciting uh put butts in seats right mm. so you wanted to y- your very first job is to get people to play yeah. if you don't get people to play you fail yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether that's you as being the gm Uh, Whether it's you as the player who really likes the game and wants people to play, whether that's you, the game designer, or just you, the personified game, (laughs) you know, if nobody plays you, you fail. We're done. Um, And then evocative is the part where uh, the game rules. uh, what I, uh, the way I worded it was uh, that pulls words from mouths right like mm. the, the, these are the parts of the game that get you to say interesting things uh, to make interesting things happen in your story and uh, and those are very broad in general and and, and they 're also very personal uh, in many ways like I could probably make some stronger statements than that, but I would be very hesitant to do so without uh, spending a lot of time arguing <laughs>
0: that, that's right yeah okay so so what is the best and or most uh inspiring uh film for you um for uh role playing it doesn't mean it has to be about role playing but you watched it and you went wow that is so cool i want to write a game or play in a game where that happens right now
1: oh that's interesting okay so um let me. Let me. Get, I'm going to answer this question twice, <laughs> Go ahead. if I may. Uh, of the course. first one is I'm going to just talk about a film with role playing in it that uh, I loved, and I think it was an accident that it did what it did. But I just want to just um, role models. Are you familiar with this one?
0: Yes. Yep. Right. That's and, Paul Rudd and uh, Sean. Uh, what's his name? Sean uh, Scott. Yes. Yes. And, and uh, McLovin. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> plus Mince is it? Somebody plus Mincey or something like that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, I'm like the thing I love about this this um, this movie, and I have no idea if this is intentional or not. But like, so Paul Rudd is this character who, from the beginning, I'm gonna just a ton of spoilers. So uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from the beginning, he is this character who. Is a uh, who's been sort of like this archetypical hero in um, American television, right. and this is a guy without passion except for his woman. Yes, yep. Uh, and like this is you know The Office, mm. and uh, like when you watch The Office uh, over the years, The Office has changed, and people can call me wrong about this, but like it kind of starts off with this guy who likes this girl, mm. and everyone else in the office is passionate about their own little things. Mm-hmm. That makes them weird. Mm -hmm. and wrong (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and and i'm like no like this is we're human beings like have passion yeah yeah Uh, um so paul rudd and and she calls him out on this Mm -hmm. he like she says you hate everything yes and um and they and dumps him for it and then uh several things happen blah 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 and he ends up with this kid that they do this lark and there's this moment. It's just, I think, a throwaway. In fact, I know it's a throwaway moment because on the DVD extras you can see the different takes of it, and and yeah. they're all just improvising. Yes. Uh, but the one they put in the film is the, just this, you know, this this epic LARP battle at the end, and uh, he's helping these kids out, and he's involved in it, and he just starts wailing on the the heavy. Like mm-hmm. not not the 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 arch villain, but the arch villain's big bad, That's right. and yeah, yeah. yeah. So and he's he's like slamming him, slamming him, slamming, him. and he goes, done, done, Don, you got me, you hit me, you hit me, and you know, he stops. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. You know, they break character for a second there, and then the the big heavy goes, but it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. And Paul yeah. Rudd goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, there, yeah, that was the greatest testament to role-playing <laughs> you know like there's just this moment where these like the, where he just realized wait a minute this is fun yeah yeah like exactly, you know yeah. and when i saw that i was like I, I i wish i'd seen it in the theaters so i would have stood up and just cheered you sure, know like yeah, a, yeah. um so that that's that's not i mean i had no desire to actually write that role-playing game but <laughs> <laughs> i i thought that that was this great way of showing that like hey you know, yeah, it's a freak show. I agree. I mean, like, and I fully am part of it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a bald dude with facial hair yeah. who's a bit overweight, who plays role-playing games. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I am the stereotype. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, so uh, the, the uh, uh, but I, I love the freak show. Uh, like, I know it's a freak show, but it's still fun. Right. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, exactly. That, that's what exactly. I'm saying. So something that makes me want to play. Oh my god. You know, there's the um this sort of concept that always hits me. Uh it's in like uh Blake Seven. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and uh and then it's Farscape sort of the great and British Firefly. Sci-fi show. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they all like Farscape and Firefly, they all have the and to a lesser extent. Han on the Millennium Falcon, you know, mm-hmm. like this, uh, or in, in fact, I would in, uh, include Doctor Who. I have a troubled relationship with Doctor Who right now, which I, <laughs> I shouldn't go into, but, um, uh, I, a, I love, 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 love old Doctor Who. And, right. uh, there's something a little fanfic about new Doctor Who that just kept hitting me over the head with it, that I just had to quit.
0: Who's your Doctor?
1: Oh, you know what? And this is the thing. And people are going to call me like a hipster for saying this, but it's Colin Baker.
0: Oh, like, Colin Baker! Oh, yeah. I see.
1: Well played. He hipster. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he for, he is the most ridiculous outfit of, of all of them, and he is probably evil. and and, um i really like i mean i love all the old doctors like i um and i love how each of them even when they were kind of mary suey were still flawed you know Mm, like fundamentally flawed people like the Mm -hmm. very first one was just this cantankerous old man yes. and he probably should be my favorite because like my favorite role playing my favorite character to play in role playing games is a broken old man right and, oh. and this is you know that but um, yeah so uh, I, I like that and I did enjoy the early parts of the new Doctor Who stuff it just as it but anyways this concept the, the, the TARDIS the Millennium Falcon uh, uh, Serenity uh, Moya and, um, uh, the liberator. Is that Blake seven? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Th-
1: this, um, this concept of a group of ne'er that end up with just the fastest ship or the neatest mm, ship mm, or something mm. like that, or just a ship like serenity is just a ship. Like, yep. uh, but that's, that's both home and their vessel to adventure. Right. Like, right. right. Oh, Ah, I love that concept. Like that, that is so wonderfully ready to happen, mm. and I, I've, I have not experienced it in a way that's satisfying to me yet. I mean, right. mechanically speaking, I've, I've, I've played games that have done that and been satisfying to me. Excuse me, um, with my friends, but I'm fully aware that it's my friends' capabilities that are making this happen, right. and the system is when it works its best, it's just not in our way. <laughs> you yeah, know, sure.
0: Like, yeah, uh, for sure. Understood. Yeah. So who's your favorite villain and why?
1: Uh, right. So I've been thinking about this. Um, Batiadis. Have right. you, uh, have you watched the Spartacus series at all?
0: Um, I haven't watched the, Spart- I've seen the old film, but I haven't seen the, the Spartacus, uh, the, 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 show, but I'm interested to hear what you've, uh, what you've got to say here.
1: Well, I, so I'm going to recommend Spartacus. Yes. Um, It is a show that, uh, and I think I am not alone in saying this. I think, uh, anybody who's a fan of the show will probably tell you that you have to watch a few episodes before it clicks. And for me, it was the third episode. There was a a lesson in the third episode that I thought, wait a minute, (laughs) we don't teach that lesson in television anymore. What's going on, you know? Mm. And, um, it made me watch it all the way through, uh, there's a lot of brilliant things happening in this show and all the commercials for it are all about the gore and the sex. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it absolutely earns all of it. Like, like that's like you, I don't know. You kind of look at that, um, gore and sex thing. And sometimes you're like, Oh, you're just doing that to get people to watch it. And they are, I mean, let's be honest. They are, but the writing earns it. Like it Mm. like the stuff that happens, is uh, if it's gratuitous, it's gratuitous because there's, uh, somebody that, because it's about Romans.
0: <laughs> yes, right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's realistic. I mean, that's the, the whole thing about the, you know, like that Rome wasn't a great place to live. You know, it might've had right. aqueducts and people with finery on and stuff like that, but like there were riots and political assassination and right. like, the streets are you know, what is it? Bathed in blood or something like that. I forget what the, yeah.
1: So you watch this show and, uh, you forget part way through it. Like you get to the end of the first season, and you're like, "Oh, right, this is about a slave rebellion." Like you mm. get so involved in the characters that it surprises you. So, Batiatis is the uh, um, uh, Ludista, I think, is the, or wait, I'm probably mispronouncing or just making up a word there. But he's he's the guy who owns the gladiators right. and trains yep. them. Yeah. And I, think that,
0: I think that's I think that's the correct name. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so he's 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 a slave owner, and he is uh, cruel, mm-hmm. and he is uh, diabolical. He's scheming. Um, he is uh, he's got ambitions. They're very clear. He's got pressures on him coming from his, uh, uh, like he's got pressures because of his. Uh, the father was a greater man than him, mm-hmm. yep. and. Um, he's got pressures from society because he has his eyes on higher. Like he, he wants to be more than just a guy who owns gladiators. He wants to be part of the senate or whatever. And, and of course, the people that already hold those status positions aren't going to let them go without a price. And um, and they remind him of his place. And right. you you get to understand him, and you get to kind of crawl into and root for him. Hmm. And then you like, and then every time you get to that point where you're like, yeah, Batyadas, then they remind you this guy kills men for like, like he, he enslaves men and throws them into a Coliseum for a living. Like that's what, like he is a villain and he, um, you know, it's not that he's, I mean, he is, ultimately sympathetic but it's not like he's sympathetic in that like he saves a cat you know no, like sure. which is the way that uh, you know uh, that, that's the Hollywood trick like if even the beginning scenes of a movie you see someone being kind to a uh, an animal or a child or yes. the elderly then you know that this person is a villain that you're supposed to identify with that you're supposed to sure. <laughs> sympathize yeah, yeah. with yep, yep. they don't use that trick and instead he <laughs> Instead he's just a truly interesting character. And mm. it's you can see how the pressures on him. Like he's got this goal. He wants to rise up in society and that creates these pressures. Mm. And those pressures rain down from him and that's what creates the horrible situation that everyone else lives in. Right. And I love that. Like he's right. he's he's a villain, but he's also this this not uh you know, it's not that he's evil, he's where all these things pour in and come out and, and mm. you know.
0: Yeah because you can Identify with his, his struggle right
1: Yeah you can identify With it and you can also clearly Like you see Something happen um, You see someone snub Him and you immediately know That that is going to Cascade into trouble for other people right, right And, and right. that's delicious You know <laughs> you get to see that happen you're like oh I can't wait So like the series, it has this interesting, uh, history to it because of the main, the lead actor, uh, died. Um, he, he, he had, uh, I don't know. It's a form of cancer. I can't remember what it was, uh, what kind it was, but like, so they played out the first season, which just gets you going. Like, Mm. obviously there's more to the story and, Mm. um, and then he can't do the next season because he's in chemotherapy and whatnot right. and so they do a prequel right uh, they, they had what was going to be an episode and they're like you know what we'll make all season of it right. and it works like right. like I normally that stuff is dangerous and you don't want to do it but they really really make it work they, right. they fully understand that they're doing a prequel they fully understand that they're playing with um, that the audience knows what's going to happen at the end Right. So let's play with that tension and they right. do it well and they do it intentionally. Right. And then and then I believe the actor it passed away.
0: Yeah, Andy Whitfield, uh, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they and they got a new guy. And so what happens is with the show so far it's they did uh the I just saw the third season now. Uh and they're going to do one more season and then they're done. But like right. so far each season I've had to watch like two or three episodes before it really like, and I love the show. It's like one of my all time favorites, but like Mm. it takes a few episodes before because you got new leads, you know, a new guy, even if the, the guy in the third season is the same character, he's played by a different actor and you know, like Dr. Who, like we were talking about Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Only in Dr. Who, they get the chance to, uh, reinvent them.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah.
1: And, and you know, and in bond, they do that every time. And, and, um, and that's fun i love seeing that happen but they don't really have that choice here you know he's right. got to kind of step in and uh not mimic but just make it seem natural that he's sure. uh, an extension of this character
0: right so talking about bond who is your bond
1: oh that is a good question i you know uh sorry, uh just saw skyfall
0: yep, yep. so spoilers uh, everybody
1: Oh, spoilers again. Um, <laughs> and uh, the uh, when, when he goes, when they go, you've seen it? Yes. Sir. Okay, good, good. It uh, goes off the grid and uh, the Aston Martin shows up again. Like that, to me, was this moment of like uh, like I, that was when I was like, I could okay, this could be mind But Like he had me at casino royale but lost me at quantum of solace like yeah i yep. thought casino royale was an i loved i loved that film and then quantum of solace i uh, like i mean i would say it's the worst bond film but on uh, like there's uh, too many <laughs> Yeah, you know, like
0: yeah that's quantum of solace is so strange um because I try to think back to it and I can't remember anything about it. Like it's, that's how yeah. little of an impact that it had for me. And I've got all the Bond films. I, I love James Bond. Um, Christmas time is my favorite time to watch James Bond. I don't know why that is, but oh. it just seems to be the way that, that it is. So, um, right. yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, I thought, what was that all about? Like,
1: it, <laughs> it, it was, um, well, I think they're doing something with, um, like, so, uh, uh, he's off the uh, grid. Yeah, well, I was gonna say the the bond before him, Pierce, Pierce Brown Pierce yeah. yeah, their thing was like, oh, now we like their thing with him was we know that he's uh, antiquated. Like, yeah, mm. we know that he's a little sexist and he's this and he's that, mm, you know. Mm. Or and they keep making nods to it. Or at least that's yeah. how they started off with. Sure. It. And, and then um, Daniel Craig. Uh, they did it, and they. Decide, I think what they decided to do is that they were going to. They're like, well, obviously Bond is a sociopath, right? Hmm. And so I think Quantum of Solus was sociopath Bond, but right. it turns out that you just don't care about sociopath Bond. No, that's like, right. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's expendable. Yeah, like, and, and so uh, he's got nothing for me to care about. Like, like, uh, like, okay, you're saving the world. Everyone saves the world. This is a complaint of mine. I might jump into now. Um, that I think we have forgot about adventure, like Mm -hmm. as a public that everything has to be about saving the world now. Yeah. And it frustrates me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I just like, I just want one movie to be about, uh, like,
0: it's like old Indiana Jones, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I just want like somebody to say, hey, I I think there's, a like, a really big gem somewhere. Let's go mm. on an adventure to find it. Yes. <clears throat> and they, like, at least they have a passion and there's a something, and it's not just the only reason why we as an audience are paying attention is that we might perish if it That's doesn't right. matter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. you vicariously, we're going to die if this guy's not successful. Yeah, yeah. rather, yeah, yeah.
1: Um and and that gets a little bit into what my my complaint about the new Doctor Who is too because that happens a little too much now with mm. the new Doctor. Mm. But um the uh but with with the um the, the Bond thing like that's all you know Quantum Solus that's all it really the only thing like I don't even know how he was trying to say the word I just assumed he was <laughs> like I, like I don't get you know but then they come back and and uh, Skyfall I thought was quite good, uh, and I thought that the, particularly the second like half, like when they um, jumped into it, that, like I was talking to Vincent about, Vincent has a really interesting uh, concept on it that I think um, he would agree, uh, that, that I think I do agree with it, like you could definitely read the film as saying, hey, we're admitting that Bond hates women, mm. and uh, here's why, because there's things that happen in that film, like the um, the woman that reveals the bad guy to him, she gets shot, and then he immediately does everything he possibly could have done to save her. Mm. But he does it after she dies. Yeah, you know what true, I mean? Yeah, yeah.
0: Like True Light, yeah.
1: And and it doesn't. There's not really you know, he could have saved, it feels like he could have saved her and he just didn't care. You know, well, sure. Yeah. And, she was
0: expendable too, right?
1: Right. Like, and is that the statement that they're making? Mm. If it is, it, you know, it's an interesting one about bond, but um, yeah. it's intriguing. Cause like they're trying to psychoanalyze. I feel like they're trying to psychoanalyze a character that is not of a, like it's, it's James Bond. <laughs> like it, sure. it's written and played by different uh, people over the years like it's it's like psychoanalyzing batman he's batman's not a real thing like yeah um he's like he's he's been written by so many different people there's nothing consistent about him yeah.
0: there's It's interesting I, I don't know if i'm quite on board with uh, with vincent's take on it. i'm not sure how you feel about it either but um my feeling about that particular piece was it wasn't so much that bond hates women just that Bond has got a job to do. After the death of Vespa in um, Casino oh, right. Royale, after the death of Vespa, he doesn't have any, n- nobody and nothing has right. any kind of value to him. It just so happens that, generally speaking, Bond deals with deals with women. But that's come to be what we expect from James Bond. But that's all, at least for me, that was all in juxtaposition um, to what happens with, with M. And that whole sort of, that whole piece where it's clearly him showing his affection for her um sort of for me blew away that idea of like a sort of um that women in general are expendable right it's that everyone and everything is expendable and when it comes and, when, and for the purposes of achieving his goal and then when it comes right down to the to the end and he's spending the time you know, like the whole last piece of the film was about trying to save M or protect M. You know, we get to see that in fact, there are some things that, that he, he cares about. They're just very few and far between everything else is, is expendable. So yeah, I, I, I don't know that Bond doesn't like women. Well, I think Bond doesn't like anybody. Everybody is expendable. Yeah.
1: No, I I would agree with that. Like, I think that the, these are, uh, I'm also of like the Daniel
0: Craig Bond, at least let me yeah, clarify. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, um, and it also showed that he cares about the Aston Martin like one <laughs> thing i love about well, that but of course
0: film. i mean it's a beautiful car it's- Yeah, exactly <laughs>
1: I love that it fills the role of like it's the you know it's the beat in a lot of action films where the action hero sidekick dies
0: right right
1: and yeah. that sends the action hero into the the ultimate revenge mm, mm. and and that's the car <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's beautiful
0: uh, yeah that yeah so, so if you could become a character in a role playing game what would it be as in you personally actually become a character in the game, you don't like can roll up your favorite character and play them and then put them down again. like, suddenly poof, you end up in an alternate reality playing a another, th- playing a character. But th- oh. that is actually you.
1: That's a, okay. So that's another good one. Hmm. 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 The world's to explore here. Um, that, that is interesting. You know, uh, like I think Tal's Lanta would be really. Or you want to know the character though, right? Like. Well, no, no. I mean the,
0: seat, the seating and the and the character as it relates to that seating.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say Tal's Lanta is pretty interesting because it's just a, a vast, interesting world. But what I really should say is some sort of because uh, what, what what I if I had this opportunity, what I would exploit it for is uh, all the different worlds of wonder I could explore, right? So I would probably have to then pick some sort of sci-fi setting, right? Because that would be more worlds. Or Everway. (laughs) Or Everway. Right. Maybe we'll go with Everway. We'll go with Everway, and I would obviously be some sort of tiger dude. And I'm only saying that because tiger dude (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I <had> enough said <laughs> yeah. yeah so do you have any dice superstitions
1: uh, you know I don't personally have any but uh, there are ones that follow me around uh, <laughs> I, I've got um, a reputation with one group for rolling poorly right uh, that uh, got so bad that one member of the group uh, um printed up, got, got printed up a bunch of D20s where this is the group I was playing, uh, third edition with them three, 3.5. Um, got a bunch of D20s printed up with my face on the one. So, and, and gave them to everyone in the group and they were playing with them. And then right. somebody's like, Oh, crit fail. And there's my face. And I was like, Oh, well done. Well done. Yes. Uh, um, but then that same group, uh, complains about how well I roll when I'm a GM. Right. So I think there's a little bit of uh, selective That's memory fine. going on here. I would um, say
0: yes. I think it's pretty pretty safe. Uh, so what's your role playing elevator pitch, including your go to example of play? Oh, I you know I should I
1: should have one. I I uh, I get really embarrassed talking to non role players about it. I'm trying to get better about it. Uh, I I always have to lead with um not a computer game uh and then i just say that yeah we get around the table we have a bunch of we tell stories but we have rules that govern how the stories are told um because that to me seems the most generic mm. way to describe it right. but that's probably wrong you know if i were to actually focus on an elevator pitch i would want something specific and concrete And I should have... Oh, so there's a thing, right? Um, In Swords Without Master, it has different phases. And there's no order to the phases or anything like that, but the the phases govern what kind of fiction you're going to end up producing. Mm -hmm. And one of them is uh, the perilous phase, which governs... Anytime when your rogues' lives are on the line mm-hmm. uh, and it's a blow-by-blow blow kind of thing. Sure. So generally speaking, combat, you know. Right. But the other things will fit in there. Although, I you know, I don't like to shoehorn a lot of things. I think we spend too much time as game designers trying to figure out first how two men kill each other with swords and then how that, can be used to represent everything else, <laughs> right. and and I think that that's wrong. I think we should start looking in other directions. Mm. Um, but so there's the perilous phase. There's the discovery phase where the uh, we learn about the world through the character through the rogue's experiences through their memories and their knowledge. Um, and there's the rogue phase, which is sort of this catch-all phase where uh, it's I'd like to think of it as the adventuring phase where mm-hmm. it's like. You get to say something like, how do you lead them through the mountain pass, you know, and find out about that. And then there's also like a respite phase where you sit down and everyone's at the campfire telling stories or whatever. But anyways, there's a phase that I have called the lore phase. Right. And the lore phase, one of the rules is that you cannot play it during a game. And the whole point is to generate uh, just a bit of something that you want to have happen in the game, or you want to explore in the game.
0: Right.
1: Like, this is totally not an elevator pitch yet. Let me tell you how the lore <laughs> phase works. Right. Because this is this is one hell of an elevator ride. Sure. Um, the lore phase goes like this. Let's say I, I have a character in the game, and the one thing I know about my character is that he has his father's sword, and the last time his father wielded the sword was during the Battle of Tiger Pass, right? I'm, sure. There's a picture of a tiger in front of me, if you're wondering why that keeps showing up. (laughs) And um, I don't know anything else about that. So we're outside of the game. It's you, me, and a stranger. And I say, oh, um, I want to learn something about the Tiger Pass.
0: Right.
1: And I ask a question. What happened to my father at the Battle of the Tiger Pass? And then I hand these dice to you, and you roll the dice, and they're going to give you a tone and what you're supposed to do is give me a hint about the answer but not answer it, right? Right, right. Uh, so you might say, you swore an allegiance to two competing lords in the battle. Right. Right. So I write that down. And then uh, then you get to hand the dice either to me or to this other stranger. And we keep doing that until um, the dice roll a tie or I decide we're done. Right. And I will have this list of things. So my how did my father, what happened to my father at the Battle of the Tigers Pass? Uh, he was sworn to two li- uh, lieges in that battle. The last they saw of him was uh, his mount with your father's armor on it, but empty, you oh, know. Sure. And, and just like a bunch of like these things. And mm. so then when uh, we go to play again, I'm allowed to throw that down on the table and we right. may end up solving that mystery. We right. might end up figuring that out. Sure. And I find that that is, uh, although that's not any role playing, it's fiction generative, and it gets people like I. I could do that with strangers, and they're like, "Well, now I want to play. I want to know what happens." Right. That's
0: right. Yeah. That, that's a, you- as a part of a pitch, you know, I think that's that's a pretty important part, right? Like to get that to to leave the the pitch open ended. Like I oh, was at a convention. Um, a few months ago now where I was sort of selling my book. It was a comic convention um, primarily and there were people in costumes and stuff like that and right. I, I went along there thinking like if I can cover my costs of coming out here that's going to be great. So I encountered a lot of people that didn't have any, any role playing experience or even knew what role playing was and just sort of like call them over as they went past to try and you know, generate a bit of interest and make it look like something was happening at the table. So I got a, a chance to um, you know, try out that elevator pitch probably you know a hundred times over the space of a, of a couple of days, um, and because this is a question that's come up in a number of other interviews, I tried lots of different ways that um, that people go about doing that, but I found that no matter what way I went about illustrating this scenario, I always found that it had a much better impact if I could tell a little bit of the story and then have something sort of partially resolve and then leave an unanswered question than if I yeah. played than if I played it all the way through so
1: there so we um, there's this experience we had. Uh, it was Vincent Baker, Brett Gillen, and, and myself. We had gone to a horror convention, right. and um, I don't know if Vincent talked to you about this. He might have. Yeah, he did. but i um, will be interested in another perspective on it. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, it was. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know uh, how Brett felt about it afterwards, but because um, it was his first uh, convention where he was selling. And, um, he's got this great game, Final Girl. And More. it's, um, it, it's, you basically play out this horror scenario to find out who survives in the end, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, it's simple, it's easy to do, it's a lot of fun. And, and we had that, we had all our horror games, was what we were doing, and we were, we are like, let's see what we can do at this horror mm-hmm. con. Sure. And, um, it was a fairly hostile crowd. Not hostile as in, like, nobody was going to beat us up. Sure. Um But, uh, like, when I ask people, people come to the table, we learned really early on not to ask them if they'd heard of role-playing. Right. Because their response was, do I look like a role-player? You know, like that kind of thing. Oh, really? Okay. I actually had, um, speaking of elevator pitches, this is one of my favorite moments, and it was this woman came up. I asked her, uh, we have Jenga on the table, which is uh, always helpful. Like, Mm the dread... I may never be able to top dread because <laughs> it just it's like that. Especially at Gen Con, I just slap that down on the table and people are like, "What's this?" And before I'm done it's, with the first sentence, they're like, "Here's my money."
0: Yeah, right. And I'm like, yeah.
1: "There you go." Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, the uh, at this horror con, they say, "Okay, so what's so scary about Jenga?" And I asked her, "Well, do." Do you, if you heard a role playing and she did the exactly. She looked at me and said, do I look like a role player to you? Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, all right. Um, let's say there was a zombie apocalypse and uh you this is about a week afterwards or whatever you've been on the run you're in a pickup truck that's dying like a timing belt or something's going wrong mm-hmm. in it uh it's you and a bunch of survivors and you're coming across a lonely farmhouse uh in the you know in the middle uh yeah. surrounded by these unharvested cornfields you know sure. yep. and um there's got a well out back and you, uh your your buddies go inside and they find a bunch of canned goods uh, so you're out there and uh, you're filling a bucket with the you know you're uh you know filling your uh gallon jugs of mm. water you know at the well and you notice as the wind is blowing across the corn some of the corn is moving in the opposite direction right right and then she looks at me and I go well, what do you do and she goes well, I I'm going to run to the house. And I said, all right, well, you got to make a pull from the tower to do that. Mm -hmm. I said, but wait. You make one pull, you make it to the house. Mm. You make two pulls, you make it in time before something gets, you know, grabs you or scratches you or, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, right.
1: You make three pulls, you can do it, and you can uh, get that door closed before any arms get in the door. Right, right. And she goes, all right, all right. And I go, hold up, hold up. And about halfway between you and the house, but like off another 12 feet or so, there's little Bobby. <laughs> And she just looks at me like, oh, you asshole. So she, And so she does it. She makes all four pulls. Like, but it's this, this tense thing. And she goes through the whole thing and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and hey, you make it to the house. You slam it shut. And the dead are clawing at the glass and the sliding glass door. And uh, she's like, well, you know, grab like a table and put it up on the door. And I look at her and I go, you look like a role player to me.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well and that played. was like,
1: She did not buy that game. But (laughs) I felt so good for doing that. But the one, the one that did sell, and this pitch was great, was uh, "Murderous Ghosts," which Vincent had, which uh, is this. You got these two booklets. It's a two-player game. One player plays the murderous Mm ghost, and the other player plays the person trying not to be murdered by ghosts. Right, and uh, these. Two women came up and they were like, well, wondering what our games are about. And Vincent puts one booklet in one hand and one booklet in the other. And he goes, all right. And, you know, they have no experience with role playing whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And uh, she goes, well, what do I do? And he goes, well, what does it tell you to do? And I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's something like think of uh, a scene of violence. Like you're in a basement of a factory that's been abandoned for a while. And the murderous ghost player is supposed to describe evidence of violence long past. Right. And so she's like, well, there's a gurney there and there's all this, you know, rusty colored dry blood on the gurney and on the floor and it's all covered in insects. Mm-hmm. But some of the insects are fake. And we were like, wow, <laughs> like, 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 it, you know, it started, it's like, okay, yeah, that's a spooky thing or whatever it's, but it's like, you know, run of the mill spooky. Yeah. And then she says, but some of the insects are fake. And it was just off kilter enough that all of us were like, Oh, what's happening here? What, Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason they had to go move along and they did. And they put the books out. The next day she came running up with her money in her hand, just handed it to me and picked it up and ran off without saying anything. <laughs> and I was like, you know, they're up all night wondering what was going to happen next. Yeah, like yeah. Just, yeah, the yeah. whole time they're like,
0: what is up with that place? That's right, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's magic when you can sort of see somebody get it and they're like, you know what, this is just like just like Paul Rudd in the in the uh, in role models, right?
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Alright, so Epi for all the marbles. All right. Adding up to a hundred, assign points to the relative importance of system, GM and players. You can lump GM and players in, in together here if you want.
1: Whew. That's interesting. So um, I'm going to be adversarial here. I am going to say 100 to system. And I'll tell you why I'm going to say that. Because my job as a game designer is to eliminate the need for the rest of them. Right? No, I'm kidding. Um, um, <laughs> if I could eliminate the need for GMs and players with a role-playing game, I've won. Yeah, like, yeah. that is... Well, I guess that's a book. I guess yes. that's...
0: That, that's right. Sure. Yeah, sure. Should
1: Just write a book. Um, I, you know, it's interesting. I noticed um, a recent tension between designers and GMs. Uh, not not all designers and GMs. Sure. Uh, there's a sentiment that's out there that's kind of building a little bit about, like, uh, what, you know, sh- why are we paying designers? We should be paying GMs that are the ones doing the, the work.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm. And, um, that it's an interesting question, right? Like, why do we have this model? Um, the Fustaval model that, uh, I was talking about earlier, Nobody gets paid for it. (laughs) Like, it's all done for the love of it. Right. And I actually told them that, that, like, um, when when we were there, they wanted somebody, one of the international guests, to speak. They have a, a ceremony at the end with awards that they hand out, and, mm-hmm. and um, the, a lot of people. Well, when they found out that I was an indie publisher in the United States, they were trying to figure it out because the, there they would never think to sell their games like that. Mm. That would be gauche or mm-hmm. something like it's socially not acceptable in some way or another. Sure. Uh, not in the way that it is like here where if you don't, if you give it away for free, people won't do anything with it. That's right, yeah. yeah. Like, unless they spend money. And I was trying to explain that, and they're like, I don't understand that. I'm like, I know, but I don't understand why you don't want to make money off of your game. So mm-hmm. both of our systems seem dumb. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. And, um, like, somebody's losing somewhere. Yes. And uh, I told them, like, when they, they had me speak before their crowd, uh, and I said, I'm – I'm excited about all these new ideas that I'm going to steal from you and make money mm-hmm. with right. in the States. Um, but uh, so like the, there's these different models that uh, put emphasis and social capital into various things. And I guess I'm, I'm personally relating myself to system because I've, i I love designing and that's where I'm, I'm I'm going with that. But like, it is kind of interesting to see now this sort of undercurrent of people that are like, I want GMs to be the ones that are supported. I want GMs to be the ones that are held aloft and and whatnot mm-hmm. and I don't I don't begrudge GMs any of that but uh, I do think there is an adversarial relationship there, just a tiny one because I think that part of what I'm doing uh, is to design games so you don't need all of the really uh, heavy duty, traditional GM skills. Uh, like, I, I, I want to alleviate that burden. Right. I want to be able to walk up to a group of teenagers and say, hey, kids, there you go. Enjoy. And, and none of them ever having any experience with role playing whatsoever. And they can take it and they can decipher it and they can get it wrong, like I did, the, the, the expert said, but they'll eventually figure out what's going on, right? And crack it and, and do their thing without having to pay someone to pl- run it for them. So, like, I, I, uh, I'm i sidestepping actually putting points in there. But let me say, um, oh, shit. But then I want to say 50-50. No, I don't want to say 50-50. This is a very intriguing question. <laughs> uh, uh, but... I'll tell you what, Like the thing is, I find from my experience, both uh, as the side of the designer and as uh, a player who can't not dissect the game while he's playing it, <laughs> uh, the system is the gem of what's happening. Like I have a lot of friends that I love playing with, and when I'm playing with them, I'm willing to give them more points. But if I had to look at the general populace and everything most points will go to the system for me
0: ladies and gentlemen epi dyer
1: thank you that's
0: it for episode 43 of penny red for any questions or comments arising from the episode daniel at hazardgaming.com on next week's show i've got epi's lovely lady emily care boss so until then keep talking the walk